and the Canadians are holding them. DeGrasse, can he do it? Yes, he can. Gold to Canada. And after what a difficult season it's been for DeGrasse, he tastes gold in the form Hello and welcome back to the Shakeout Podcast presented by Canadian Running Magazine. As always, I'm your host, David Stahl. And on today's episode of the podcast, we have an incredible athlete and advocate joining the show once again, who I'm lucky enough to call a friend, Gabriel Harkin. Now, for those who might not have had the privilege of meeting him in person or haven't listened to previous episodes with him, with Kate, Gabriel is such a pillar of the Canadian running community, a Hoka athlete, LGBTQ+, and HIV advocate, and just so much more. Now, Gabriel's duality between performing as a 239-35 marathoner and also, on the flip side, president of Toronto's Pride and Remembrance Run makes his impact just so singular. On today's episode, Gabriel and I catch up on such a wide array of topics, including his lofty goal of securing a marathon personal best on a tricky Boston course in just a few weeks, his lifelong work towards education and prevention for HIV, his really powerful running origin story, which, again, if you've listened to his previous episodes on the podcast, you're familiar with, but we dive a little bit deeper into where that comes from. I talk about my first memory racing against Gabriel and just so much more. It was a ton of fun catching up with him. And his story is just, again, so resonant, so important to share. So I really appreciate him taking the time to talk. As always, if you enjoy the episode, please feel free to give us a five-star rating and subscribe. It helps us out a ton. You can also follow us at ShakeOut Podcast on all social platforms to catch clips and updates from the pod. But for now, please enjoy my chat with the one and only Gabriel Hartley. All right, Gabriel, thank you so much for rejoining the podcast. Now, I think virtually everyone listening from the Toronto community probably already knows who you are from a personal standpoint. And I would say most in the Canadian running community at large will as well. Now, on a personal note, we met last year for the first time. You might not remember the moment, but to start before we dive in, I just think it frames my experience knowing you and sort of your role in the community so well do you mind if i start by recounting my first experience seeing you in a race format not at all please okay so let me paint a bit of a picture so last summer i was getting ready to race my second 5k since moving to the city and i felt fit my friends had actually organized the race it was the inaugural what's called the rev and run 5k it took place at exhibition place literally right after the Toronto Grand Prix in downtown Toronto, kind of right in my backyard, actually. So the IndyCar Grand Prix, it takes place. There's hot rubber still in the roads. And then literally like an hour later, right after that crowd sort of disperses a little bit, the running spectators come in and, and the 5K took off. So, you know, for running, it's it's a pretty big stage for an amateur road race. And I was ready to run fast. I, to be honest, I'm coming in a little bit too cocky. So when the gun goes off, I come tearing out with the lead pack. And on the sidelines, I see a few friends from Parkdale Roadrunners, my run club, cheering on the sidelines. 
Now, of course, my brain in this scenario immediately shifts to, oh, they're they're all cheering for me. They're all rooting for me. I felt like the mayor of Toronto. Then I'm coming towards them. And all of a sudden, as I get closer, I realize that not only is literally no one saying my name. In fact, the entire sideline of the course is looking directly over my shoulder and they're all cheering for someone named Gabriel. Now, I'd never heard reception like that for one person. These are my friends. These are my people. Then out of nowhere, a lean runner with bleach blonde hair streaks by me. Turns out, of course, it was you. Spoiler alert for the listeners at home. I didn't pass you for the remainder of the race to no one's surprise, but I came up after and I introduced myself. Uh, And that was the moment that I realized you had a bigger impact on the running world than merely fast times. And of course, it's been a pleasure for me to be following the journey ever since. But that was was the moment that I realized, look, I don't know who this guy is yet, but clearly I need to. And uh, and I was right. I was right. And of course, like I said, I've been following the the journey and I've come to know your origin story ever since. And, you know, as the listeners are going to come to learn, it is a remarkably powerful one. This might be tough for you to answer, but when did it sort of feel like you'd cemented yourself in the run community? Oh, that's a tough one. And, and thank you for that recap. It, it's really filling me with a lot of a lot of feelings, a lot of positive feelings to kind of go back to that moment. And I think the beauty of when I realized that was also realizing that what people resonated the most with and what was making the impact was my vulnerability and my story. And I think that is the one thing that connects with people more or the most, I should say, is because people can relate. So I think anything that is relatable is so special because as human beings, we share that bond that, you know, we're all the same in a way, you know, we're all different, but we all have fears, we all have joys, we all have hopes, we all have dreams. And I think people hearing my story is impactful to them because they see some of themselves in me. And I think when I began to realize that, you know, I am making an impact is when, yes, a lot of opportunities kept coming, but also people were just telling me in person or in DMs, you know, thank you for sharing that. That meant so much to me because of X, right? And that's when I really but really proud of myself because I always said, you know, if I can help one person, then I made a difference. But I know that I've helped a lot more than one person. And I think that's what keeps fueling me to keep sharing my story and to keep being vulnerable and to keep just sharing my authentic self with the world. We want to dive into what you're working on currently, your your training block that you're in the midst of and your goals for this year as a 239, 35 marathoner. But I think you would probably agree your most impactful work comes through, like you just touched on, in your community work. So maybe if you don't mind, let's start with your work as director of Toronto's Pride and Remembrance Run. When did that role begin and and what does it entail for those who maybe aren't familiar? So I joined the board of directors four years ago and I can't believe it's been four years already because time just goes by so much quicker. And I joined as experience director. So it was a new role that was um, created at the time. And I did that for two years. And then last year I was co-president. And then this year I'm president of the association, which puts on the event. So we are now in our year 11 directors and we work pretty much all year to put on this event. And for me, it's so special because the event happens during Pride weekend. And before I came back to my second coming of running, Pride for me was just parties. 
parties, late nights, drinking, everything you can imagine, that was me. But I always saw on Saturday this run. I was probably leaving the club and I'm like, hmm, there's just curiosity, curiosity. Never did I think at that moment would I eventually be the president of the association that puts on this event. So I came into it, obviously having been, you know, part of my second coming to running. And I went into the the association kind of with a runner's lens. I really wanted the run to be faster, to be the course to change, to make it, you know, elite and all these things that I had and in my mind. And over the years, I've really come to appreciate that it's not just a run. It's not just a race. It is so much more than that. Mm-hmm. The work that we do really benefits the community. And that's what it's really about, right? This race means so much to so many people, including myself now. You know, I still do the pride thing, but this has become my pride mm-hmm. because it really has allowed me to kind of join who I am and what I love to do in one. Mm-hmm. So what a way to celebrate who I am than through the Pride and Remembrance Run. And not only by, by, by putting it on, but also being a part of this legacy and this event that has been going on for 28 years now and has raised over $3 million for various beneficiaries in our community. Mm, oh, it's incredible. And going off of that, what does it mean to be able to create a safe place of acceptance for people within a sport that's really offered you the same throughout your life? I think it's so necessary because if you look at Pride, there's the parties and the beer gardens and everything, right? But what if someone doesn't drink? What if someone doesn't party? What if someone just wants to celebrate Pride in a different way? You know, and we offer that. Mm. We're a run. We we do have an after party, you know, and it just offers also, it also offers families a place to celebrate as well, right? Yeah. Last year, we introduced the kids run. So now we have a kids run. And to see parents running with their kids, to see parents running with strollers, like it's an event for everyone, yeah. you know? So it's a really safe space. And it's also a place where people can come who maybe aren't as comfortable with their sexuality yet to really it could be an introduction for them mm. because sometimes what you see on the, on the news, what you see on the TV is really one facet of, you know, the gay community, but we're also athletes. We're also families. We're also parents, siblings, cousins, friends, right? There's so much more to us than what is shown sometimes in the media. That's a really neat point that I, I maybe hadn't considered before too, because I think a lot of people outside of the community understand the visual of the pride parade. And, you know, here's this, beautiful spectacle that goes on within the city but having a large spectrum of events and opportunities for people to be involved with again shows the diversity within that community itself i'm sure absolutely and then also raising awareness for people living with hiv obviously Mm -hmm. that's something very close to my heart as someone who is living with hiv yeah that over the past, you know, 27 years that the run has gone on, we have been we have benefited so many community organizations that do help people living with HIV. The run actually started when the founder's friend died of HIV, I think a few years before. So it was almost like a, in remembrance of that. So this movement has continued to go on. And it's really important to keep HIV at the forefront because it is still an epidemic in Canada. Cases are still rising, but it's just not talked about enough. Which is why I share my story, because a lot of the reasons I think people aren't necessarily maybe getting tested or afraid to get tested is because of the stigma of what a diagnosis could bring. Yeah. Right. So if I can show that I'm not just living with HIV, but I'm striving with HIV and that helps somebody get tested or find the resources, resources they need to live a healthy life, then I've done my job. Yeah. And I know you have such a commitment to being open about it, being 
proud of your journey. And, and I know, I'm sure some people might be familiar with it, but for people who maybe are being introduced to you for the first time, I do think it's, again, like you're saying, important to talk about it as, as you know, part of your identity, a large part of your work comes from spreading the mantra of HIV doesn't have to slow you down. Of course, you mean it in a literal sense, but, you know, correct me if I'm wrong, it's now been a decade since your diagnosis. You're always so eloquent about talking about the experience, something that always blows me away. Have you always had that level of comfortability? Is that something that you've sort of evolved with throughout your journey? No, definitely not. I was that shy kid who didn't have a lot of friends, who was bullied in school. And to kind of take a moment to reflect and to see that scared little boy who was so fearful and, and so afraid and really wanting to be validated to where I've come now, like, I'm not gonna lie, I'm very proud of myself. Mm. I'm very proud of myself for the person that I've become, but it hasn't been easy. Yeah. But what has made it easy is sharing my story because every time I share my story, it's like part of my healing. Mm seeing the impact that it has on others and people coming to me and saying, I'm so happy you shared that you're so strong and really like, I'm just being me. And that's, you know, I, I don't, I don't see myself as this somebody who does all these amazing things because I'm just doing me and I'm, and I'm just sharing who I am and, and my struggles. And, and that's the part that resonates the most, which is so amazing because, you know, I always wanted to be seen for who I was. And I feel like now I am seen for who I am. Now you referenced, you know, that shy, scared little kid who, I know you, know you got introduced to running because you know it's something that you were naturally talented at. And and that when you're a kid, finding your thing is such a means of finding acceptance, right? If you can be good at something, you can channel that into a lot of the time getting a you know the pat on the back or the invite. And I'm curious, could you touch on how you first began your relationship with running? What did that look like and sort of how did it evolve? If I could sum it up in one word, it'd be safety. Mm. You know, I go back, my best memories of elementary school, high school, even university is cross country. There's something about, I don't know if it was just the nature being in, in the woods and just, I don't know, but that's running has always been my safe space. And ever since I was small, it was kind of the place where I could go to where I needed to just be away from everything and something that was mine that nobody could take away. And the fact that I was talented was obviously just the icing on the cake because back then that was really the one thing that I could be proud of myself for. And I know you went on obviously to run at U of T, but you you mentioned as well, I think afterwards there was that 10 year hiatus from the sport before you returned. You speak a little bit about what sparked that hiatus and then maybe to bookend it, what caused you to to come back to the sport? I think it was fate. You know, I, I think it was God just kind of putting running back on my radar mm. and just be part of my healing process. You know, it was, it was a really, it was a hard time for me. That's when I was, you know, diagnosed. That's when I was, you know, dealing with an addiction. And there was no self-love. There was no self-love. And running, it, it was just like I, somebody told me, hey, let's run a half marathon. I'm like, why not? Why not, Right. And I ran and it was just like, I fell back in love again. And mm -hmm. there was no turning back. And then I saw my times progress and they got quicker and quicker and quicker. And I'm like, okay, there's still something here, mm -hmm. right? And then I went through my therapy. 
I went through educating myself on what I was going through and really just finding ways to love myself and and to heal from past traumas. And running was always there. You know, mm. it was there when I was young. It was there when I needed it the most. And it's still here now. And what was the moment when you may, maybe realized, okay, you're returning to the sport, you're running fast times, you're getting back into that flow. And then you maybe realize, oh, I have a bit more to offer this sport than simply fast times and individual training. Was there a point after that hiatus when you went, okay, maybe I'm meant to do a little more within the community? Yeah, that's kind of when I joined the Pride and Remembrance Association, when I was like, okay, like, what can I do to help others? What can I do to be more involved? And mm -hmm. what opportunities are there for me to give my time? And that kind of started it all. And then the same thing with the advocacy work, like, I didn't go out thinking I was an advocate. I actually feel sometimes uncomfortable with that word because like I said before, I'm just doing me and I'm just sharing my story. If that makes me an advocate, then I guess I'm an advocate. <laughs> <laughs> and I've, I've read and heard similar quotes from you before too, right? Where you're not trying to sort of hoist this title of advocate onto yourself. You know, you're just doing what you do within the community and, and however someone wants to identify you, then that's great. During your work, have you noticed a change in the public's perception of what living with HIV looks like? What work might still be left to do? I think it's education, number one, because I think because of the stigma, like I said before, you know, maybe people are afraid to get tested or people are afraid of others living with HIV, you know. But the truth is, like, I have been on medication since the beginning and I have been undetectable since the beginning as well. And what that means is that I cannot transmit my HIV to somebody else. Undetectable means untransmittable. U equals U. And just that alone, I think, would go so far if people really understood that because it would take away a lot of the fear from that people have towards others living with HIV, but also someone who is afraid to even get tested. You know, the reality is that one in 10 people in Canada don't know they have HIV. And that's a problem. Mm -hmm. You know, and these days, you know, we have... ART, antiretroviral therapy. We have PrEP, we have self-testing kits which you can get for free. There's, there's no cost to them, but there's still a barrier, right? It's not just affecting gay men. HIV is on the rise also in heterosexual people as well. One in three new cases are through heterosexual sex. One in four new cases are in youth. One in 10 new cases are amongst indigenous people. And one in 10 people living with HIV don't know it. So it's really about making testing accessible to everyone and just continuing to fight the stigma, which is why I continue to share my story. And yes, for me, it's HIV. And like you said, my motto is HIV doesn't slow me down, but it's also for everyone else who's also dealing with something, right? Because we all have something, you know, I haven't met someone who doesn't have something they deal with, right? So my purpose here is just to let people know that you're stronger than whatever it is you're going through. Oh, I right? love that. Don't let something define you. You can achieve your dreams and, and, and you have purpose in life and no diagnosis is going to be the end of you. Mm -hmm. So like you mentioned, Gabriel, these are obviously things that impact far wider reaching demographics than just the LGBT community. And with that, these are things that everyone universally should be educated on. So maybe for the average listener who thinks that this isn't going to affect their lives. And, you know, we know that that's 
likely not the case. What are some ways in which they can educate themselves more about HIV to raise awareness, to grow their own education, to destigmatize, et cetera? I think it's getting comfortable with what you don't know, getting comfortable in the uncomfortable. I think as a first step is understanding what U equals U means. I kind of touched on it already, but really that is scientifically valid. Undetectable equals untransmittable. Mm. The organization that I work with closely is CANFAR, the Canadian Foundation for AIDS Research. And that is canfar.com. So you can get a lot of information there. But also, you can also get information on their youth awareness program, which is sexfluent.ca. It's actually designed for youth, but I have learned so much because I never got taught this in school. And that's the purpose of SexFluent is to give resources to young adults, young individuals that they don't necessarily get in the classroom. To be honest, talking to teaching friends of mine, it, it's still terrifying how little these things are talked about in schools as well. So I think giving that resource not only to youth and teens growing up, but to their parents, to people in their lives, these are all things that we're a little bit behind the ball on because we're quote unquote shielded from them. So I think having those reliable resources that's huge. And, you know, we've obviously touched on this community work that's so vital to who you are. I think the other side of it, too, what makes it so exceptionally impressive is that you balance all this work with such rigorous training. Right now, I want to start with a big question. What are you training for right now, Gabriel? And what's the goal? So we're going into marathon number 10. And we're going into my fourth Boston Marathon, which is so exciting. I've become a bit of a Boston junkie. I cannot get away from a hard course. And I think it's my cross-country blood in me that just loves a difficult course. <laughs> However, Boston actually has been my PB course up until I broke it in September in Berlin. It stood for about five years. It was my third marathon and I could not... PB until, like I said, until five years later. So it had stood for so long, which is why my goal for this year, and I'm usually not the kind of person that sets a goal and really kind of says it out loud, but I'm kind of changing the direction of how, how I train, how I think about things now. And I want to PB in Boston again. You know, mm -hmm. I did it once. And yes, it was my third marathon. So some people would say, you know, well, the first ones are the easiest one. That's when, when you see the most progress and then it gets harder from there. But I want to debunk that. I want to say, you know, Boston can be a PB course and that's what's going to happen in two months from today. That is absolutely a cross-country brain to go from a course like Berlin and be like, you know what? We're tearing it down in Boston. And I, I love it. It's going to be so fun to watch. You said, you know, you're taking on a slight different approach in not only vocalizing your goals, but a little bit in your training as well. So I'm curious when you look back, maybe at Berlin, but particularly in those first reps at Boston, what's different about your training approach? I think for this one, my focus is really going to have to be really honed in on my mind. Mm. I think we don't know how much strength we have, and there's so much potential if you can unlock the strength you have in your mind. And I say that because last year, Boston Last year, Berlin, I ran safe races. I, I, I can say that. And I, I crossed the finish line having, you know, run beautifully executed races. But I feel like I did leave something in the tank. And that was because of fear. 
I've run nine marathons, but some of them haven't gone well. And the brain remembers those times when you hit the wall and it alerts you. I remember being in Berlin and my brain kind of just maybe kind of sounding the alarm being like, oh, 30K is going to come up eventually. You don't want to get to that point that you have gotten before because it's a struggle when you have to, when you hit the wall. I think we all know that, right? But at the same time, at some point, you're going to have to take that risk. You're going to have to go out hard and you're going to have to trust your training. And that's something that I haven't been able to do as of late. So I think, I don't know when it kind of went down for me, but I think I just really need to focus on our mental strength. And I know it's there. I just have to really unlock it this year. Mm. I've heard that from a lot of seasoned marathoners too, right? Like you said, those first ones, you almost don't know what you don't know. So there's not that healthy fear. Your brain doesn't know to warn you. And then I'm sure, and I'm going to bet that it's this year in Boston, there is sort of that breaking through of that sort of mental plateau where your brain is flashing warning signs and telling you to, you know, you don't want to, you don't want to push too hard. You don't want to, you know, gas out too quickly. And we're excited to see how it rolls out because again, Boston is a course that it helps to know it well. And by this point, I'm sure you know it well, and you're quite attuned to it. I think something that makes following your training so fun from my personal perspective is balancing it alongside your job as a flight attendant, which sees you flying around the world. And I'm curious how difficult it is to not only balance the volume of training, but to do so in different environments and different time zones around the world as well. It takes a lot of dedication. I'm not going to lie. And it's something that I I'm proud of because I, I know, I think as, as you know, any marathoner that wants to run a good marathon has to be dedicated and you have to put the work in, right? You can't, you can't skip days. You can't skip runs. You know, you have to go top of your nutrition. So making sure that I'm still hitting all those important elements, mm. one of those of course also being sleep, right? And like, I'll be in from one time zone going to another, but really it's all about prioritization, you know, is packing my food. I actually bring a lot of my food on my flights because I know what I need to eat and I track everything. Nutrition mm. is another element that I'm really focusing on that I kind of started last year is because I realized that I was under eating. So I wasn't recovering fa uh, fast enough. I was doing all these crazy workouts and I thought I was eating enough, but I wasn't. So tracking everything that I eat, making sure I'm getting enough protein, enough carbs, changing the, the percentages on long run days. There's so many elements to it, but it does become a bit of second nature. And I think it just kind of becomes part of part, part of your life. And it does take some some sacrifices, of course, but I think we all know the the uh, the reward. And the word, the word is not just the race, but the word is just the journey to get to the race. Like I always tell people, you know, yes, the race is obviously magnificent. Yes, that's your goal, but also enjoy the process and look at what you're doing, you know, day in, day out, you're getting up, doing the work, you're recovering, you're going to the gym, hitting the weights. That is all part of the marathon. The marathon is really the celebration at the end, but be present in the moment because the marathon only lasts a certain amount of time. The journey is, you know, at least 12 weeks. For some of us, it's 365 days a year. Mm. I love that. And, you know, you just touched on it there, but I was curious, you know, because you are so competitive. I've, I've, you know, I've read articles in my research where you finish, I believe it was the Houston half and you were a little bit disappointed in your performance. And that comes with training at such a high level. You have high expectations for yourself, but you've reiterated it throughout this conversation of wanting to run with, joy and kindness for yourself. So I'm curious, 
were, were there ever points in your running career where it was tough to balance having empathy for yourself with that competitive drive? And are there ways that you've sort of helped be kind to yourself during these these tough training blocks? I think we can be our, our best friend or we can be a, our worst enemy. Hmm. Right. I think that it's hard because we do put a lot of pressure on ourselves to succeed. And I, I remember in the first years that I was doing marathons, it was all about times and it was almost toxic to just always be chasing PBs. And, and yes, it got you to do the hard work, but I don't think that's really why we're doing it. I think we have to remember the purpose of why we get out there, mm. you know, that satisfaction that we get from every day that we put the work in and not just focus so much on metrics and beautiful things can happen. Let me tell you, when you put down the watch, like good things happen. I, I always like to share this story because I still can't believe what I did in 2020 when I ran my PB in the half marathon at Houston, I ditched my watch and people must've thought I was crazy. I mean, I thought I was crazy, but I just couldn't have a watch that day. And I just said, you know what? I'm just going to not wear it. I'm not going to wear it. I'm going to run with my heart. I'm going to run hard. I'm going to enjoy the process. And I ran a 110.14, which I still can't believe, like I said, that I that I did that. And that PB still stands, you know, and that's another PB that I'm chasing. And it's been, you know, how long has it been? 2024 years, right? But I look back and I'm like, wow, again, that is the power of the mind. And that is the power of believing in yourself. And it's also racing because all I could do in that moment was race. Mm. And I think running, yes, is an individual sport. You know, a lot of the times we do kind of race against ourselves and our potential, but I think we can really use each other to get to that potential, right? Like we are racing in a race with thousands of people, right? These are competitors. And I think that's, you know, it brings me back to when I was in high school and it, it was more about competition back then. You know, you wanted to be first, second or third. So you were racing against people. And I'm thinking maybe for this year, for myself, even like, why don't I just kind of go back to that time when I'm, I become a racer, not just with myself, but with those around me mm. and going back to Houston, like I said, you know, if, you know, maybe start ditching the watch and a few workouts and just trusting yourself or if that's too much, keep the watch on, but turn the face to whatever random screen and then check the splits later. Like you'll be surprised because I did that once before Houston a few times just to keep track of everything. And when I got home, I was like, damn, how'd I do that? You know, the same thing in Barcelona where I just ran a half marathon in really tough, windy conditions. My watch was all over the place. So I was just like, you know what? Sure, I might look at it a few times, but I just said, get to work, get to work and finish this race strong. And when I looked at the official spritz, I ran a pretty even race. And I was like, again, damn, how do I do that? You know, but again, I wasn't focused so much on the metrics of pace and the watch. I just ran with my heart and I ran hard. I love that. And to be honest, reading it earlier this week, I, I you sort of inspired me. I want to run a race free of any tangible pacing or any watch. And I've been sort of adopting that in my training a bit more because it goes back to exactly what you just said, right? Previously in being present in the journey as well. And, you know, part of getting out of that super, super strict dedication to the watch is just being present in the moment. I know you concentrated on your breathing a lot during that race and during the training leading up as sort of a metric of 
effort and pacing and the rhythm of it, I think it goes back to a lot of that philosophy of yours of being present in both the journey and the race itself. Now, obviously, a lot of people know you as well from your work with Hoka, and I know they've supported you in, in your racing journey. I'm just curious what your relationship has been like with the brand, how you first got involved with them. My relationship with Hoka started, I think, I think we're going on three years now. Again, I have to remind myself of how quick time flies. And again, go back to that Gabriel be present because time goes quickly. But anyway, going back to your question, I think we've been working together for about three years and it it just, it was just the perfect fit for me because I remember very well, one of the first things that they told me was Gabriel, you're still the star. You know, we want to support you. We love what you're doing keep doing that and just bring us along for the ride. So I never feel pressured by Hoka to necessarily have to like be so brand specific per se, because I just get to do me. I get to do me. I get to do what I love. And I have this brand supporting me and they've been so good to me. And not only that, but they've also now become a sponsor of the run as well, you know, mm -hmm. and, and, and I speak to the run like, like it's mine. I know it's not mine, but it just has such a big part of, has become such a big part of my life because of, the um, contributions that, that it does for the community. And now I was able to kind of bring Hoka into that. So it's really just like a family now. It's a partnership and, and we support each other, really. I love that. And I know self-expression and authenticity are key components to you as a person and your message. How important is it to work with a brand that's not going to compromise that, not going to compromise your values or what you're volunteering towards, what you stand for? I think it's what you want from any relationship, right? You want respect and you want alignment and you want to be going towards the same goal and you want to be part of that same journey, right? And I think it's just to really inspire people to move, inspire people to be healthy, inspire people to put in the work, to chase their dreams and really unlock their potential. That's what it's all about. Mm. Oh, I love that. And obviously, we're looking towards Boston. We've touched on it. That's sort of the key goal this spring. But aside from that, whether it's related to training or community work, what are your major goals this year? So it's really scary to talk about my goals in running, because like I said, I usually keep those very private, but mm -hmm. I did have touched on them before. You know, a dream of mine is to break 230 in the marathon, mm -hmm. right? I think it's something that anybody who got to that point would feel very accomplished. And, and I know I can do it. You know, I've run that pace in workouts for, for so many years now. I just haven't been able to execute it in a marathon, which is, is frustrating. I'm not going to lie. You know, for so many years, I was able to rely on talent. And I had this mentality that it was easy because it kind of always was easy. Yes, I put in the work, I put the work in, but I always saw results. Now it's like, damn, like, what else do I need to do? And it's really just to keep working hard. And this year, I'm really reminding myself that this isn't easy. This is not easy, Gabriel. David, it's going to hurt. And I tell myself that every workout now, you're here to put in the work. It's not going to be a pony ride. It's going to hurt. Get comfortable in the discomfort because that kilometer 38, 39, 40, it's going to hurt, right? Mm -hmm. And nothing that's great comes without a price. And, you know, you have to be willing to hurt because that's what it's all about. And hurt is temporary, mm. but the feeling of accomplishment is forever, right? So I think it's really about really setting up your mind to do the training, but also to be realistic about the hard work that this does take. 
mm. to accomplish such big goals. And that's one of them for me, right? The half marathon is another one. One, 10, 14. That's like one second per mile that I needed to run fast. When you look at it, right? So it's so frustrating, so close, right? But had I done it in 2020, would I still be here now chasing that? I don't know. So maybe it was meant to be that I was so close, but not close enough to break that big barrier, right? Mm. So we'll see. I mean, I have Copenhagen on the uh, on the roster for September, and I've ran that race before. I feel comfortable running in Copenhagen. It's a fast race. So that's kind of the goal we're going for there. And Valencia in December, you know, will that be the 230, you know, race? Who knows? But we'll see. But I'm definitely uh. going to <laughs> that that's exciting and even i think it comes full circle too with your approach in running and your approach in the community you've used it to describe both the idea of being comfortable in the discomfort as well right you said that in how people can educate themselves towards hiv awareness and also in terms of how you can break through those barriers in a physical sense and running as well i think a lot of your philosophy is seeped in okay you got to push yourself and feel that discomfort and understand that that is again, an inevitable part of the journey, whether it's running a, you know, beating a, the personal best on a Boston course or building awareness through the community. Now for someone seeking that community, as we sort of close out Gabriel, perhaps someone who feels on the margins looking to find people in the running scene, what's a good first step? How can they feel welcomed? How can they find their people in this space? There are so many amazing run clubs in the city that people can tap into, right? I think if you are in Toronto, at least, you know, every neighborhood has at least one, right? And if, you know, you can look online as well for some, if you don't live in the city, but you know, there is community out there. And the running community is kind of the one place where I never thought that I needed to personally, let's say, come out. I think it's why I think it has been such a safe space for me because I can just walk into a run crew and just really be myself mm -hmm. and be celebrated for who I am. If, if you do want to join a queer run club, you know, I, I'm part of the Queer East Run Club, which is based out of the East. And, you know, we run, I believe, starting in April till about October, November. So that's going to be kicking off very soon. So that's that's one that you can uh, tap into. There's also the front runners. There's Queer Run Club as well. They're a bit more West End. And of course, there's my OG run crew, which is Parkdale. <laughs> you know, still running on a Tuesday. But yeah, just look for a community that you feel close with and, and then set a goal. I think it's always good to have a goal. You know, if races are intimidating, that's fine. But maybe just consider, you know, running a race one day. And mm. it's the 5k, you know, don't go big. Don't, you know, don't start with a marathon. That's not a good idea, but you know, start small and see where that takes you, but really like give yourself some credit because, you know, I think we, I think we're all born to run no matter what mm. you, no matter what size you are, we're all born to run. You know, once upon a time, we we're all hunters and gatherers and we had to run from lion tigers and bears. So we are made to run. <laughs> I love that. Now, Obviously, people want to be able to follow your journey. It's super captivating. You do a great job of showing behind the scenes. And it, it's, again, like I've talked about before, seeped in authenticity. So to close this out, Gabriel, where can people best follow your training, your journey? I'm most active on Instagram. So that would be at Gabriel Hurricane. That's where you can find me. Amazing. Gabriel, again, thank you so much for your time. This was a blast. I know so many people love you in this community. And I know so many more people are falling in love with you listening to this interview. So I, I really appreciate your time as always. And we're going to be 
rooting for you, screaming from the sidelines of Boston. I love it. And I receive, I receive all the love. So thank you, David. Absolutely. Thank you so, so much for tuning into my conversation with Gabriel. As per usual, don't forget to subscribe to the podcast and follow us at Shaco Podcast on social media for clips and updates from the pod. It helps us out a ton. Otherwise, thank you again to Gabriel for sharing his story. I know so many people are going to be able to connect with it. And I do genuinely think it's so important to highlight community figures like himself. Be sure to follow his road to Boston throughout this spring by finding him on Strava or on Instagram under at Gabriel Harkin. That's just at first name, last name. That's Gabriel, J-A-R-Q-U-I-N on Instagram. In the meantime, happy running, and we'll see you next week. top of the podium, but it's not the hosts. It's their northerly neighbours. And somehow, after an awful year of injury to grass...